Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, July the 25th, 2023. It is currently 2.49 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Theology Central Studio, located right here in Abilene, Texas. Imagine that. I messed that up. That is so perfect for this week, is that I messed that up. Of course, I could not start the program and simply get the introduction right. No. Okay, so let me try that again. Good afternoon, everyone. It is it is Tuesday, July the 25th, 2023. It is currently 2.50 p.m. Central Time, and I'm still coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, and I still messed it up there at the end. Do do, do you ever have that feeling? Like, you just can't do anything, right? Do you ever have that feeling that you cannot do anything right when you open up a Bible and you start reading it? Do you feel like every time you read the Bible, you feel like, well, can't do that. Nope, fall short of that. Nope, mess up there. Nope, try trying to do that, but obviously not trying hard enough. Nope, nope, can't, 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 never, don't, messed up, fail. Do you ever feel that overwhelming feeling that you just can't do it? You're never going to do it, and your life is a perpetual failure. Do, do you ever feel that way? Now, a lot of people don't, don't do that. A lot of people can read the scripture, see all of the commands, see all of the demands, and they don't, they never feel, I don't know, they don't ever feel bad. About, they, 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 they talk about the commands, but they always feel like not only can they do them, but somehow they convince themselves that they do them. And then there are others of us who read it and just like, man, failure, 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 failure. Failure, failure, failure. And you just think maybe giving up would be best. You've had to feel that way. Now, there's been really two stories of my Christian life. Well, really three stories. There's the first story of my Christian life where I'm like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to do this, this, and this, and this. Oh, I'm never going to do this. I'm failing. And I felt horrible and guilty and, you know, even thought I was possibly demon possessed because I didn't know what other answer to find. Felt very distur- discouraged, very much defeated, very depressed, very, I mean, just destroyed. And, and really no one ever offered a good biblical answer other than read your Bible more, go to church more, pray more, all the typical stuff. Then there was, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So how will I convince myself I'm doing it? I'll focus on certain things because I caught on really quick that if I would read all the, all the time, study all the time, listen to sermons all the time and read all the systematic theologies, I would know more than everyone else. I would be, so therefore, just in my mind, I would be more spiritual than everyone else because I read and studied more. So therefore, I, I would, I would be able to convince myself, look, I don't know about the rest of these people, but I obviously love God. Because I read more and I study more and I'm doing this and I would convince myself even when there would be clear evidence of my failure, I would still convince myself that my the good outweighed any bad. So somehow I was still accomplishing it. So then I kind of went that direction. And then finally, sooner or later, 
everything collapsed. And I realized, you know what? No matter how many good things I do, there are a million bad things that are still present. I'm never going to get this right. And then started really embracing and understanding the proper distinction between law and gospel. And that is what I'm trying to get across to everyone in this series, how important this proper distinction between law and gospel is, because the Bible is filled with law and its job is to convict you, expose you, and condemn you. And your only hope is not trying harder. Your only hope is not trying to convince yourself that you can, you will, or do. Your only hope is to fall at the feet of the cross and say, I can't, but you did, and you, I do, it is complete, it is finished, and all of my sins are washed away, and I stand perfect and righteous, not in practice, but in my position. That is the only hope. And I don't know if you've gone through any similar cycles within your Christian life, but trust me, you, this is one of the most important distinctions you'll ever learn. In fact, I, again, I've said this before, this very series that we're working on, trying to understand the proper distinction between law and gospel, I've said it's the most important series and whatever else I do and every every other failure in my life, if I can somehow find a way to finish this series then I will know that I at least did my, that I went down swinging. So I'm not, even though, even then in this series, I have made mistakes. Even in this, the intro to this very episode, I made mistakes. And every episode, you'll hear me not, not pronounce something correctly. I don't know, double negatives, subject verb agreement. There's always issues and mistakes. But the subject here, is so very important. So I want to start this episode by reading the words of Martin Luther, the reformer of the 1500s, right? The 95 Theses, right? The Protestant reformer, starting the Protestant Reformation. I know people say there are things that that came before him, but Martin Luther, right? Here are the words he wrote. And we talked, we heard these words read in the last episode of this series. If you go to theologycentral.net, theologycentral.net, you go to the blog section, ladies and gentlemen, you will find these words of Martin Luther. And I quote, on the words of Christ, John 7, 37, if any man thirst, Let him come unto me and drink. Luther offers this comment. There are the two subjects on which we preach. The law produces thirst. It leads the hearer to hell and slays him. The gospel, however, refreshes him and leads him to heaven. Luther speaks of this difference not only when explaining passages in which the terms law and gospel occur, but wherever he has had an opportunity to preach those two subjects. The law tells us what we are to do and charges us with not having done it no matter how holy we are. Look, I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how godly you are. The law 
will will charge you with not having done it because no matter how holy you are, you still don't keep the law because the law demands absolute perfection internally and externally. Thus, the law will always make you uncertain. Whenever you look to the law to try to prove your salvation, which is the typical thing in modern day Christianity, and I know they would say First John is the test book, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I know all of those scriptures, but because they read them that way, then no one should ever have certainty of their Christianity if your Christianity is somehow proven by what you do, because they're looking to the law to prove that you're saved. But the law was never meant to prove that you're saved. The law was meant to prove that you need Christ. So every scripture that says, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, is a law passage. So let me go back and read this again. The law tells us what we are to do and charges us with not having done it, no matter how holy we are. Thus, the law makes me uncertain. It chases me about and thus makes me thirsty. Now, when Christ invites those who are thirsty, he means such who have been crushed under the hammer blows of the law. Directly, Christ invites only these to come to him. Indirectly, indeed, he invites all men. A person thus thirsting is not to do anything but drink, that is, receive the consolation of the gospel. When a person is really thirsty and is handed but a small glass of water, how greatly refreshed he feels. But when a person is not thirsty, you may fill one glass of water after the other for him, but and it will do him no good. It will not refresh him. Luther continues, or proceeds, the law says, thou shalt not kill. Its whole urging is directed towards what I am to do. It says, thou shalt love God, love God with all thine heart and with all thy, and, uh, and thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt not commit adultery, sh- uh, nor swear, and uh, nor steal. And then it speaks out thus, see that you have lived or are, are now living according to what I commanded you to do. When you have reached this point, you will find that you do not love God with your whole heart as you should. You will be forced to confess, oh my God, I have not done what I should. I have not kept the law for neither did I love thee from my heart today, nor will I do so tomorrow. I make the same confession year after year after year that I have failed to do this or that or or, or that. There seems to be no end to this confessing of my trespasses. When will there be an end of this? When shall I find rest unto my soul and be fully assured of divine grace? You will ever be in doubt. Tomorrow you will repeat your confession of today. The general confession will always apply to you. Now, where will your uh, conscience find rest and a foothold because you assuredly know how God disposed towards you? Your heart cannot tell you, even though you may be doing good works to the limit of your ability, for the law remains in force with its injunction, thou shall love God and man with your whole heart. You say, I'm not doing it. The law replies, you must do it. Thus, the law puts me in anguish. I have to become thirsty, feel a terror, tremble and exclaim, how am I to act in order that God may lift up his gracious countenance upon me. 
I am to obtain the grace of God, but on condition that I keep the Ten Commandments, that I, that I have good works and many merits to show, but that will never happen. See, some people think we can find grace by doing those things. Let me read that again. You, the, the law puts you in ang- anguish. You become thirsty. You feel terror. You tremble and you exclaim, how am I to act in order that God may lift up his gracious countenance upon me? I am to obtain the grace of God, but on condition that I keep the Ten Commandments, that I have a good works and many merits to show. But that will never happen. Now, I want to make it very clear. What some people do is say, no, 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 no. You don't have to do it in order to get the grace. But if you get the grace, you will do these things. But let me tell you, that will never happen. You're never going to keep all the commandments. You're never going to keep all of the law. Even as a saved person, you're still never going to do that. I am not keeping the Ten Commandments, therefore no grace is extended to me, they will say. The result is that man can find no rest trusting in his good works. He would be glad to have a good conscience. He yearns for a good, cheerful uh, he yearns for a good, cheerful, peaceful conscience and for real comfort. He thirsts for contentment. That is the thirst of which Jesus speaks. At last, until Christ comes and asks, would you like to be at ease? Would you like to have rest and a good conscience? I advise you to come to me, dismiss Moses, and no longer think of your own works. Distinguish between me and Moses. From Moses, you have the thirst which you are suffering. He has done his part for you. He has discharged his office to you. He has put you in anguish and made you thirsty. I'm a different teacher. I will give to you drink and refresh you. A person who has not been put through this experience is a sound without meaning, a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But a preacher who has personally passed through this experience can really speak from the heart. And what he says will go into the hearts of his hearers. It is a mere accident when someone who someone is awakened from sin and converted by a preacher who is himself unconverted. Accordingly, when preparing to preach, the preacher must draw up a strategical plan in order to win his hearers for the kingdom of God. Otherwise, the hearers may say of his sermon, oh, that was nice, but that will be all. They will leave the church, but with an empty heart. The only way not to have an empty heart. Now, this is me adding my own thoughts is to come to Christ and to drink. And the only way you're going to come to Christ to drink is if you know you're thirsty And the only way you're going to know your thirst is when you're confronted with the law of God. Then you will see how much you mess up and how short you fall. I don't know if you've gone through the process yet of starting to realize how much you fail, but if you'll just allow that process to take root inside of you, you will flee to the cross every single day. You will drink freely of him and you will find comfort and peace and because there is no peace apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason we're reading Luther is because we are working through, once again, the 25 theses from C.F.W. Walther on the proper distinction between law and gospel. 
Now, the first time we made it to like number 11, the, the, the series kind of jumped the shark. I take responsibility. I failed as a teacher, but that's okay. We're now trying to do somewhat of a redo. What are we doing? We're utilizing the radio program slash podcast issues, ETC, issues, etc. I challenge everyone to subscribe to their podcast, Issues ETC. Look for all of their programs in the archives on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We are using them. Now, because it's a radio program, we are simply using the segments in between the commercials, all right? So we we are reviewing, analyzing, critiquing, discussing what they are saying in regards to the proper distinction between law and gospel. And in our last episode, what they did is they took an entire segment to basically talk about Martin Luther and law and gospel. But now they're getting ready to go to thesis number two, as given in God's no and God's yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel by C.F.W. Walther. Now, thesis number one, if you don't remember, was the doctrinal contents of the entire Holy Scripture, both of the Old and New Testament, are made up of two doctrines, differing fundamentally from one another, law and gospel. Thesis number two, only he is an orthodox teacher who not only presents the articles of the faith in accordance with Scripture, but also rightly distinguishes from each other the law and and the gospel is the pod, are the podcasts you're listening to offering a proper distinction between law and gospel are the sermons you're listening to offering a proper distinction between law and gospel is the church you are attending offering a proper distinction between law and gospel if not you should be concerned and you need to ensure that you are not destroying the proper distinction between law and gospel because once you destroy that You do not have any gospel left. You will only have a gospel, but it's actually law. It will be, it will actually, you could all, you could really say you'll end up with law masquerading as a gospel. That's really what it will be. It will be a law. They they will say they're giving you the gospel, but it's just, it's just the law masquerading as gospel. And you're going to find yourself with gospel. Are you going to find yourself with law, law, law? Why they tell you it's gospel, gospel, gospel. Right now, that was a 18-minute review. Let's jump in to the next segment from, I think it's part two of Issues ETC series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. This is segment number two. They just covered the Luther quote that we just read. You can find that Luther quote, theologycentral.net. Go to the blog section. And now they're going to introduce thesis number two, which I just read to you, and we'll analyze and critique what they had to say. So, notebooks out, pencils in hand, here we go. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Part two of a series we're doing with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever on CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Theses. I want to make sure we don't go unintentionally astray, heeding Walther's original warning there as we started, and that is, you were talking before, quoting Luther at length, on essentially the effects that the law produces in the mind and heart of one who hears it. And I want to make sure that we don't stray off into what's popular among some Lutherans today, which is kind of an existentialism, where the reality of God's word is located kind of in me, in its effects, and there's really nothing going on outside me. It's all taking place inside me. 
How would you respond to that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it was Kinker who said in his wonderful little book, um, The uh, Worship in Word and Sacrament, that the point is that the law condemns me even when I don't feel condemned. And the gospel acquits me even when I don't feel acquitted. And boy, is that important. Because there- That's such a good point. Theologically, the law condemns you. I don't care if you think you're doing it. I don't care if you think you've got it figured out and you're, I'm sorry, you're condemned. You, you can, you can convince yourself. No, 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 no. It's not really about perfection. It's about direction. You can make all of the little excuses that many evangelicals will because they won't really pursue a proper distinction between law and gospel. They look for some kind of weird other thing because they want to focus on the supposed change that's supposed to happen in people's lives. So they'll, they'll focus on the action, 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 action and convince themselves somehow that they're doing it to some level that proves something. It's supposed to prove something. But while they think it's proving something, I don't care if you feel like it is, because I know the reality. That law that you think proves something about you or proves some dramatic change in your life, you know what that law really proves to me? You're still a sinner. You still sin day and night. You fall short continually. So whether you feel it or not, the law condemns you. And you know what? This is so important. When you feel like an absolute messed up failure who cannot do anything right, and you feel condemned, and you feel useless, and you feel worthless, and you feel like giving up, and you feel despair, you may even be brought to the point of not even wanting to live if you really are really honest with yourself in light of God, of the, of the law. Just remember this. You may not feel it, but the gospel says you are forgiven. All your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. They've been thrown into the deepest sea. They've been covered by the blood of Christ and his perfect righteousness is imputed to your account. You stand before God, holy, perfect, righteous, and any no one can lay a charge at God's elect because he is the one who justifies and he justifies not by an, an infused righteousness, but by an imputed righteousness and no sin you commit can change or lessen that imputed righteousness. The only way for a, for that imputed righteousness to be removed is what well, you would have to basically, I guess, literally get rid of God himself because you are in Christ Jesus and well, he's eternal and he, you are eternally in him and salvation from forever. You will always be in him. He, you will always be covered by his blood and his forgiveness and his righteousness. Right? So your feelings are irrelevant on this matter. There are many times where you'll still feel the condemnation of the law breathing down your neck, but you need to believe the word of the gospel, the objective word that is spoken to you. And so uh, while they do have their effects within us, we don't validate what God says by the effect it has in us. Rather, it's the other way around. We recognize from the effect the validity, the enduring eternal validity of God's word of either law or of gospel, of condemnation or of acquittal and pardon and of divine love. The second thesis of Walther's deals with how the failure to distinguish between law and gospel can actually ruin a man's theology. So he says, if you wish to be an orthodox teacher, you must present all the articles of faith 
in accordance with Scripture, yet you must also rightly distinguish law and gospel. Take us into that one. Yeah, so notice, this is why I said that that long intro that he gave is actually a prelude to this. I mean, you can sort of see it ties together. Because he wanted to deal in the third evening lecture, the whole idea that a man can indeed set forth and clearly state the truth of what Scripture teaches. The entire dogmatic tradition of the church has proclaimed this, right? To confess a creed is to proclaim this. It's to say we can set forth what is true and we can demarcate what is true from what is false, and this can be done solidly and for sure when it is done on the basis of God's own word. And so, yes, a preacher, an orthodox teacher, he has an obligation to present, first of all, all of the articles of the faith in accordance with Scripture. Let's just take that first little bit by itself. To present all the articles of faith means especially to state the articles that are not popular at a given moment and to state them without fear of doing so. You know, you just lay it out and say, this is what Scripture teaches about X. Like in our day and age, probably uh, one of the biggest challenges that arises is the entire article about creation, right? I believe that God created heavens and the earth that he did so by the speaking of his word, that he did so in seven days, that he is himself then the one who sets up and creates the world that we experience. And he has the opportunity then to tell us in his word what this world is that he's made. For example, when he says male and female, he created them. These things are not up for grab for a Christian teacher. He has to proclaim these as the truth of God's own divine revealed word. All the articles of the faith then also implies that that we just simply do not lose some of the things that might be more. I mean, who in our day and age, Todd? I suspect we've really lost a lot of the eschatological preaching, the preaching of the end things, particularly like with regard to the realities of heaven and hell, and the day of judgment and what that means. All of these things are part of. The um, whole counsel of God, which has been revealed to us, remember how Paul told the Ephesian elders, I I haven't hesitated to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what Walter's getting at here, that the Orthodox preacher will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Now, before he says, but, I just cut him off right there. He was getting ready to say, but, but just before he says, but, let's make sure you have this down. You can go to a church, to a church that faithfully teaches all the articles of the faith. They faithfully teach them. They proclaim them. You may think they are the greatest preacher to ever stand behind a pulpit. You may love the relationships. You may love the quote-unquote fellowship. You may love all the activities. You may love the building. You may love the music. But... If they do not rightly distinguish from law and gospel, they do not understand and proclaim the proper distinction between law and gospel. Walther went so far to say they are not an orthodox teacher. You can point to all those other things and say, but, 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 but. If they don't properly distinguish between law and gospel, it's not orthodox. That's that's the claim of Walther. You possibly could say that was the claim of Luther. You may disagree, but it is something greatly to... So the question is, if they get law and gospel wrong, if they get that wrong, how does that impact the rest of their exposition of scripture? How does that impact the rest of their theology? 
Now, he's getting ready to say, but let's let him now jump in. He just said, they got to teach all of those other articles. And we would all say, amen, they need to teach the whole counsel of God's word with or without offense to fr- with with or without offense to friend or foe. They need to speak of God's word exactly as it goes. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a famous quote. Okay, they, they, they need to do that. But, but if they don't properly distinguish between law and gospel, then is it an orthodox church? Now, some of you are going to be like, whoa, that's just too, you're demanding too much. I'm just, look, I'm just giving you how Walther looks at it. You can struggle with it for yourself. Let's see how they handled it on issues ETC. But having done all of that, which is a great and vital thing, he still hasn't got the job done if he doesn't know how to proclaim all the aspects of truth in such a way that the law terrifies the secure and the gospel comforts the terrified. He actually says there, this is the litmus test of a proper sermon, not only to properly proclaim the articles of the faith according to Scripture, but also to distinguish law and gospel. Yeah, a sermon that is preached that does not address the sin of human pride. Okay, now this is where I have a little bit of disagreement with them. I do not, this is my own personal feelings. I do not believe you have to impose this system on every text. To me, a proper sermon is the sermon that properly preaches the text. Now, if the text is law, it should be preached as law and then use it as the, what law is supposed to do. Condemn and then, now you can in that sermon if you want, bring up how salvation is in Christ. But my thing, my thing is, is just properly preach the text, whatever is in the text. If it's law, law. If it's gospel, gospel. Preach what's in the text. You don't have to just come along and look at the text and go, no, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've got to impose this idea on it. No, no, no. Just preach what's there. But guess what? If there's law, there needs to be law preached. And if there's gospel, it needs to be gospel preached. And you need to preach the law the right way. You need to preach the gospel the right way. That's the issue to me. And humble it by the, by the power, the divine hammer of the law. A sermon that is preached that is devoid of the sweet promise of the gospel, which can call the dead to life. That's a sermon that's kind of useless for the purposes of God for salvation. And uh, Walter's really clear. Every sermon really needs to have everything you need to know to be saved, which means you need to have the proclamation of the law that crushes and of the gospel, what God has done for you in Christ that raises the dead, lifts you up, and fills you with hope and looking toward his joyful future. So an example might suffice here. This was years ago. I was at some church in St. Louis. I don't even remember where, and I don't remember who the preacher was. I do remember that he was kind of an old war horse, and I say this with respect, an old war horse of the battle for the Bible, a Lutheran guy. Mm -hmm. And he preached a sermon, and everything he said in the sermon, it was about the Word of God, about the power of God's Word. Everything he said in the sermon was absolutely true. It was scriptural, but he did not speak of my sin, and he did not speak of the forgiveness of my sins in Jesus Christ. He spoke true words, but he did not distinguish between law and gospel. Yeah, I once knew this guy named Todd Wilkin who had a sermon diagnostic, 
I wonder if he came up with that after uh, he heard a sermon like that. It might have been. Because, <laughs> I mean, that sermon diagnostic is really, really great. I mean, is Jesus actually mentioned? Is he the doer of the verbs? And if Jesus is not even mentioned, we got a sermon with a major malfunction in it, even if the sermon is entirely true in proclaiming whatever piece of doctrine it's seeking to proclaim, right? So what else does Walter have to say about the nest? See, that's where I disagree. The sermon is not designed to proclaim a doctrine in my estimation. A sermon is designed to proclaim the text that you are preaching. And that whatever doctrine or issue that text is presenting, that's what you present. They're saying, no, 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 no. Every sermon basically needs to mention Jesus. He has to be the doer of the verbs. You have to have law and gospel. Like, and, and it's just like, so you really like, here's, here's the template for every sermon. And I, I abhor templates given to me for sermons. No, my sermon's going to be here. We're going to work on this text. That's what we're going to do. We're going to struggle with it. We're going to ask questions of it. We're going to deal with it. Now, guess what? If I see law, I'm going to deal with it. And if I see law, 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 I'm going to be willing to acknowledge this is going to condemn, 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 condemn. And then I may point us to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Look for something that will. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute. If you, if you just give law in one sermon and you don't give the gospel, the people leave condemned. Well, hopefully they'll come back next Sunday. Remember, the church is designed for saints. It's the equipping of the saint. It's that's the job of the church is to equip saints so they'll no longer be tossed to and fro from the every wind of doctrine to equip them for the working of ministry so that they will leave and proclaim law and gospel to the lost. But in the church, my job is to equip them. And so I'm going to preach what's in the text. That's the that's the goal. When you leave, it shouldn't be, did I hear law and gospel? The, the key should be, did I hear the text? Do I understand? Can I tell you what the text was? Do I understand it? Do I understand it? Do I know the problems with it? Did we struggle with it? Did I study it? Right? I think that's very important. Necessity of distinguishing law and gospel and of preaching the truth of God's word. I remember, like I say, he's trying to make them practical theologians when they hear this. So he says, note this well. When you hear some sectarian preach, you may say, well, what he said was the truth. And yet you're not going to feel satisfied. Here's the key for unlocking this mystery. The preacher just didn't rightly divide law and gospel. And hence, everything went wrong. He preached law where he should have preached gospel. And he offered gospel truth where he should have preached law. Now, anyone following such a preacher goes astray. He doesn't arrive at the sure foundation of the divine truth. He does not attain to the assurance of grace and salvation. I mean, think about that. That's so important for Luther, for Walther, and it really should be important for all Christians. The, the Word of God is revealed to us for this great purpose of making us know that we have eternal life, and the eternal life that we have is in His Son. This is what First John 5 teaches. I write these things, you may know that you have eternal life. And if there's someone who's preaching to you something that leaves you uncertain about whether or not you have eternal life, what you have there is not the preaching of the gospel itself. See, I, once again, I, this is where I, this is where I find myself in conflict. Some preaching will leave you questioning. Some preaching will leave you in doubt because the text is law. 
That's the key. You preach what's in the text. I look. I my, I I know I disagree with so many. I don't. I don't. I look. I hate the traditional template for preaching. I think it should be burned and thrown out. I hate this template that's being imposed on preaching. Just preach the text. Deal with it. Struggle with it so that people know all of these templates that's been imposed on sermons. We have 2000 years and guess what we are still saying? The church is suffering from biblical illiteracy. People still don't know it. People still don't know doctrine. They still don't know. We constantly are yelling and screaming about this epidemic of illiteracy and we keep imposing all of these templates on sermons and the people are still walking out illiterate because all of the templates on sermons keep people from the actual text. They may give the illusion that you're dealing with the text, but you're really dealing with a, a, a pastor who prepared a speech where he utilized scripture as kind of maybe the background for it or a found or kind of a stepping stone for it, but it really didn't deal with the text. When you're done with the sermon, don't ask whether you feel saved, don't feel saved. Ask yourself, did you learn the text? Now, you can ask this. Did they properly distinguish something as being law or did they preach the law as gospel? And did they take the gospel and really turn it into law? Did they preach the law like it's gospel and the gospel like it's law? Did they blur, obliterate that distinction? Now that you can look for. The key is because that would mean they did not accurately handle the text and they did not accurately handle the text because they don't have a proper understanding of the proper distinction between law and gospel. You know, Walter adds this warning to his students, too. He said, perhaps for once the words veritably flowed from your pen, but I'd advise you to read your sermon over and see whether you've rightly divided law and gospel, for then you may often discover that that's where you made the mistake. In that case, your sermon is wrong, even if it contains no false doctrine. I love that. He's like, just getting the doctrine all straight is important and matters, but it's not sufficient. It is not sufficient for the task that Christ has set you to. You have to know, well, he uses the passage from Timothy that talks about the, the rightly dividing or apportioning. You, ne- you need to know how to give everybody the food that they need for the household. He also pulls on Luke 12, verse 42, um, where the Lord says, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? So he says these you know, two things are required. In the first place, at the proper time, He's got to furnish the servants in the house and the children everything they need. And in the second place, each individual should be given his due portion, exactly what he needs. And this is where the proper distinction between law and gospel really comes into its own. If you have someone who is proudly secure in their sense, someone who is saying, well, you know, I know it's wrong, but God's just going to have to deal with it because I can't stop it. And that's just the end of that. That person You don't give them an ounce of gospel comfort. You take it away from them so that they might learn to tremble before the law of God. The person, on the other hand, who says, I am such a sinner, I cannot stop. I don't know where to turn. Every time I've tried, I've prayed, I've asked for help, and and I continually fail. I am so evil. I'm so wicked. I don't know what to do with this wretched heart of mine. To such a person, you say, listen to what Christ says. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me. You will have peace and quiet in your heart, rest for your soul. 
Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's part two of our series on CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Theses. We'll get into a little more scripture in support of that second thesis right after the break. And that's our cue to end our episode, because we are only covering that between the commercial breaks. That's what we're doing. We're making these a little shorter, hopefully a little bit more succinct and and beneficial. And and for those who've been listening to the entire series, offering refreshers and reminders to those who may be new, hopefully this will be like, well, wait, I need more. Well, look, look up our series, the Understanding Law and Gospel. You can find it on the Sermons 2.0 app. SermonAudio.com or the Church One app. Look for our series, Understanding Law and Gospel. And then once you find that series, go all the way down to the bottom. It started in October of 2022, and it's still going on, okay? It's like well over 80 hours of teaching. You can go back and listen. And then when you get back to the redo, you can be like, okay, this is a refresher. Why, Why did these people need a redo? Must be because he's a really bad teacher. And I will acknowledge that, right? The people needed a redo because I lost the plot somewhere and that's on me that's on me so but we're trying to to fix it redeem this save it to some way shape or form so that um we can hopefully benefit someone look i don't know if it's ever going to benefit anyone i know it's going to benefit me because just as i started this episode messing up that's the story of my life when it comes to the law of god one mess up after another mess up, after another. I fall short. I sin in thought, word, and deed by what I do and what, by what I leave undone. I sin internally. I sin externally. I am the chief of sinners. Paul has nothing on me. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I, I am a sinner with unclean hands. My hope is not in doing better. My hope is in the absolute perfect finished work of Jesus Christ and an imputed righteousness that is mine by faith. Understanding the Bible when you read it is filled with law, knowing what that law is supposed to do and knowing what it's not supposed to do and then reading the passage that are gospel, understanding what it's supposed to do and what it's not supposed to do. That is the key. And... That is the key of an orthodox ministry who is properly distinguishing law and gospel. If that distinction is obliterated, it's not an orthodox church or ministry. Now, many of you are going to strongly disagree with that, and that's perfectly okay. And you're free to tell me where I'm wrong. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm more than willing to receive the negative emails because, well, that's kind of your job when you stand and uh, sit in front of a microphone or behind a microphone. We, we still are having that debate on which one. Is it in front or behind? Okay. Yeah, we can have that debate. All right. I think that's everything. It's Tuesday, July the 25th, 2023. Did I say 2022 at the beginning? I hope I did not. 2023. It's now 3.32 p.m. Central Time. I feel like the whole day has disappeared, but at least we got one thing in, and we'll see how the rest of the day and evening goes. But ladies and gentlemen, 
I need physical food before I can provide you any more spiritual food. Because if I don't get some physical food in my body, I'm going to pass out and die and not be able to provide you any spiritual food. And man, do I need some medication for my head right now. Yeah, so so thank you very much. It's one of those days. But hey, we, we made the most out of it, didn't we? Right? We, we tried to make the most out of it. So I'm going to eat, get some medication. And then if I can, I'm going to get it back up here as soon as I can to try to do something else to try to benefit you. And, of course, benefit me. That's all we can attempt to do, right? All you can do is try. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.